Seven Figures, Smart Money Strategies for Women. Sometimes it feels like when it rains, it pours. What you need to do the next time you are starting to feel overwhelmed, you're starting to feel like you're at your breaking point. Angie Hundley is here. She grew up in the foster care system. She beat the odds. Now a mother of four, an owner of a multi-million dollar business. What she does to keep herself motivated, she will definitely put things into perspective and hopefully inspire you today. Plus, in our No Dumb Questions segment, is it smart to have money in a CD? We'll explain what a certificate of deposit is and if it's right for you. And we'll take a seat at the kids' table, a fun and creative way to teach your kids about taxes. Yeah, we're going to try to make it fun. Seven Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union. Thank you for being here. If you have a sec to click subscribe and give us a quick review, that would be awesome. Before we get to Angie, let's start the show with no dumb questions. For no dumb questions, and really, truly, there are no dumb questions. CFP Erica Cummings from the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management is here. Hi, Erica. Good morning. How are you? Good. Okay, so we get a message uh, today from a listener who said she is so grateful that we do this segment because she, like so many of us, feel foolish sometimes to speak up and admit when she doesn't get it. So that's exactly why we do this. That's right. Um, So she was wondering about a CD, a certificate of deposit. She said right now she does not have one, but she wasn't sure if she should put some of her money there. So can you explain what a CD is and what the benefit is? Sure. So a certificate of deposit is is basically a product offered by any bank or credit unions, and it provides an interest rate in exchange for you agreeing to leave some amount of money Um, untouched for a period of time. So there are six-month CDs, there's one-year CDs, there's all the way up to five- and ten-year CDs. You will most likely have to pay a penalty if you choose to take that money out before that time period is up. Because of that, CDs tend to pay a little bit higher interest rate, so you get a little bit higher return on a CD than you would in a traditional savings account. These are not the types of investments you want to look at when you're looking at very long-term retirement planning because these are really, really conservative. It's a really, really low rate, and it's certainly not going to get you to where you want to go in in long-term investing. But let's say you have some savings. You know you probably won't need it for the next six months, the next year or so. Let's say you're saving up for a house. You may be able to just eke out a little bit of a higher return in a CD than you would in a traditional savings account. It pays a guaranteed predictable rate of return too. It's not going to fluctuate. So if rates go down, you don't have to worry that it's going to get cut. Okay. So now if we're thinking COVID has really taught us a lot about diligently setting up an emergency fund when we're able to do that. So we're building up this emergency fund, which the rule of thumb is how long again? typically three to six months worth of what we call your fixed expenses. So expenses that have to be paid. Okay. So with that three to six month, is this a place where you could put that emergency fund in a CD or would you keep it in your savings and then any additional money put it in a CD that you don't need right away? You can definitely use this for your emergency fund if you know that your job is pretty secure 
And although you may incur a penalty if you have to dip into it, the idea is that you would only do this in a true emergency, not mm -hmm. for you know lesser but tempting reasons. So all the while, you'll be earning a little bit more interest than you would in a traditional savings account. Uh, it really does curb your spending because a lot of people have a hard time keeping yeah. the emergency fund just there because yeah. it's sitting there and it's begging to be spent as opposed to... <laughs> you know, locking this up and knowing, okay, I have to, I have to go to the bank. I have to sign something, say, I want to pay a penalty in order to take these funds out. Sure. Usually when that happens, people think twice about that expenditure. So All it right. can be helpful. And then you can do a, a little bit in a three month, a little bit in a six yes. month, a little bit yeah. in a year if you want. Okay. Yeah. Don't go too far out because rates are historically unbelievably low. Um, and we we don't want to lock something in for too long where you're going to regret it if we see rates go up over the next few years. All right. Awesome. Erica, how can we uh, find you and follow you and uh, uh, tell us about your podcast, too, coming out soon? Yeah. So you can find us. Our website is theharmonyfinancialwellness.com. And you can find us on Facebook by the same name. Always feel free to reach out to me via email, erica.cummings at rvc.com. And yes, our podcast should be starting, we're hoping, by um, December. So we'll have lots of information, particularly for women out there and trying to balance our lives the way that we are doing all the time. Thank you, Erica. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. What you need to do the next time life feels a little overwhelming. Angie Hundley joins us next. author, new author of A Recipe for Bad Lemons, Ingredients for Success from Life's Sour Moments. Your first book. How does it feel? It hasn't even hit me yet that I'm an author. That's so cool. I got my first copy today in the mail and I'm like stoked. And yeah, so I opened up the front cover and I had tears and chills and I was like, oh my God, it's real. Yeah, that must be I just posted it on my uh, Instagram and my Facebook page. So well, now looking through your Instagram and your Facebook, you have such a beautiful, happy life surrounded by so much love. What's the response you get when you tell people you grew up in the foster care system? Well, first of all, just you saying that to me gave me chills. <laughs> um, because you're right. It's, it's so gratifying, the, the respect that I'm given right now and um, the support so yeah, it's been, honestly, it's been overwhelming uh, the last couple of days. Um, it, it's been wonderful, but um, I, honestly, people are shocked. You know, my closest friends, my best friend, um, we went to middle school together. So we've been best friends for 25 years. And, you know, I kind of lightly danced around the fact that I'd been adopted. Um, I have to be honest, when we were in middle school, I actually lied about my situation because I was so embarrassed about it. Um, but as we got older, I shared more details of it. And then, you know, I have another best friend from high school. And, and so a lot of my friends, like they kind of knew I was adopted, but never knew the situation surrounding it. Certainly never knew I was in foster care until recently. Um, so I think my friends now, and it's great because they're texting me um, as they're reading my book and they're just like in tears and they're like, oh my gosh, we had no idea. This explains so much about you mm. and the personality that you have and how genuine you are. And it just all makes sense. And um, it's been really cool to, to watch my friends um, unravel, you know, like almost a secret, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's been really cool. Now, I cautiously ask this question because I don't want to force you to open up more than you want. But what was it like for you? 
it's so funny. So when I reflect back on my actual foster care time, you know, one of the things I, I, I've talked to foster parents about is, you know, and it's tough because when you're in foster care, I just recently realized you can't capture photos. You have to be very careful about what you display publicly for the um, the, the safety and security of the foster child. Mm. But there's there's an 18 month gap of my life where there, I don't have photos. Um, I remember little bits and pieces of things that I did as a child, but it's almost essentially a whole. And, um, which is kind of, kind of crazy in a sense that, I mean, I remember everything, you know, I remember obviously the traumatizing part of it, of shuffling around, like, you know, and I write about it in my book, but you know, I'm, I'm in a home and I'm finally feeling somewhat settled. And then here comes Miss Melissa, my caseworker, and we're shuffled off to the next place. And it's just like, as a child, you start to wonder like, what did I do wrong? Why are they kicking me out? Like what happened? You know? And, um, and it wasn't really necessarily that there was anything wrong other than, you know, probably when they set up my first initial foster home, it was probably designed to be an overnight, which turned into 30 days or whatever it was at that time. And, and, um, but to this day, probably the most traumatic part of that entire process was when my sisters and I got separated. Mm. Um, it was one thing when, you know, I was dealing with, you know, my birth mom, you know, being back and forth with, I think I want my girls. Oh, maybe I don't. I want my boyfriend. Oh, I think I want my girls. No, I want my boyfriend. I mean, so we were all, we were along that ride with her. And I remember, you know, being hopeful, like, okay, this is good. She's going to, she's going to do the, the things the judge tells her she has to do. We're going to go back home. Even though looking back, thank God we didn't go back home. Um, but at the time, you know, I didn't know any different, but the most traumatizing part, I think of the whole foster care in general was when um, and sometimes this day talking about it, I tear up <laughs> is watching my baby sister go off in another car um, and having to say goodbye to her. And I apologize. Oh it's, no. it's, probably the, the, it's the emotional part of me that like it's still raw, but yeah. um, just watching her leave and not knowing what was going to happen to her um, to this day still te- tears me up because it, it was, that was traumatic for me. I was the oldest. Um, my sister underneath me, we were a year apart. And then my little sister, we were three and a half years apart. And so I was her mother. I was her mother through the foster care. Um, you know, again, I'm seven years old, but um, I was her mother through the foster care. I took care of her. Um, I, you know, I made sure she was happy and she was fed and I protected her. And so that was, that was probably the most traumatic part for me was that that day is very vivid in my mind. Um, I mean, I could almost draw a picture out very vividly. And I remember going to my next foster home and I worried so much about her that I convinced my foster mother to call the, the social worker and just tell me something like, where is she at? What is she doing? And I remember having a little bit of peace in mind when I actually spoke to our caseworker and she explained to me that she was with a, you know, a nice family that had three older boys and they always wanted a little girl and, um, and she's being pampered by her new family. And, and, and obviously that was a sense of relief for me, but you know, the three or four days leading up to that, I was a mess. Oh my God. And you were only seven, you said? Yeah. Seven. Um, we were, um, maybe seven and a half roughly, which is crazy because my youngest son is seven and I look at him right now and the innocence of him. I mean, obviously I've seen it through all my children, but right now it's especially, so I look at my, my little guy right now and I'm like, that just the innocence that I, I'm like, Oh my God, you know, just having conversations with him and just knowing how mature and how grown up I had to be. 
in that moment. And I look at him and I just want to keep his innocence. I don't want to ever take that from him. And I can't imagine, you know, I, like I said, it's in bits and pieces, but it's really, it's, it's really fresh when I look at him and, and I put it all into perspective. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you know where your sisters are now? I do. Um, one's about an hour away and one is, um, about 15 minutes away. Um, I, I have coffee, um, oh, and link God. up with my younger sister who's an hour away. And then my middle sister, you know, we we're kind of estranged. And, um, and even though she's close, close by, um, unfortunately we don't really have a relationship. I, I, I still love her and I wish her all the best. Yeah. I think growing up, we just kind of went our separate ways and, and I get to talk to my nephews, her, her boys, but, um, but I respect her decision and where she's at yeah. with her life. And, and it just, it's just how it's unfolded. But, but yeah. What made you say, all right, fine, I'm opening up, I'm coming clean about all of this? Because this is just recently, pretty much, that you said, all right, I'm going to tell you about my life. Yeah, I mean, this has been a culmination of like five years, roughly. Um, as I've said in a couple of other interviews and even my launch, I went and met with a social worker for coffee because initially I thought, you know what, maybe I can volunteer. I, I know for me, and even though I tell everybody, oh, you should be a foster parent, I know it's not the right choice for me uh, because I would be too attached and I would, I would struggle with mm. not being able to fix something. But, um, but I, I, you know, I went to this coffee and I brought my adoption book and her and I visited and um, you know, when I pulled my book out, her face was priceless because she was like, my God, these are the same forms today. We're still writing the same things. And my book's 30 years old oh, and it has floored me. And we talked about like, you know, where I was at in life, you know, as a business owner and just everything leading up to that. And she, you know, she said, you know, you're such a minority because the success rate for foster children is less than 5%. You know that, right? And I was just like, what? Mm. I never knew. I never even thought about it. Never even considered it. I guess it just never really resonated with me until she said that. And it was crazy because I left that meeting and that's all I could think about. In fact, I think I stayed awake that entire night. Like, this is crazy. And then I looked at my own situation with my sisters and I was the only one that graduated high school and they eventually went and got their GEDs, but, um, they fell into that statistical rate. And, and then I went on to college too. I mean, I have, and I talk about it in my book, I had a little bit of a setback, but my goal was to finish. I'm like, I have to finish. I have to cycle out. I have to like, I'm going to do this. And I mean, it was tough, but, but yeah, it's just, it's crazy when I think about that, that rate and it just, yeah. I just thought about it nonstop. And then I was like, you know what? Um, my kids need to know this. They need to, they need to know like how, like, I don't know just how lucky they are that they have a mom that, that went this path and not a different path. You know, I could have been in, in prostitution. I could have been on the streets, you know, I could have yeah. been in the drugs, all of the, the statistical rates. I could be in prison for being stupid, you know, because I could have been angry and resentful. And, and so um, I really opened up with my children about it. And then I made an outline about just, reflecting over my life in general, like all the different scenarios I had faced and how I overcame them. And it finally hit me in that moment. I'm like, wow, I have a gift. I have, I have a gift of a positive mindset and wow, I'm lucky. I'm fortunate. Like, why did God choose me to, to have mm -hmm. that? You know, like mm -hmm. what it, it just, it just overwhelmed me, but I just, I started writing at that point. And then, you know, we, we were making some business changes and then, um, things just got busy. You know, I, at that time, I think I had a two-year-old so I kind of put it on the back burner. Um, this past winter, I was like, you know what? I've got to make this a priority and get this done. And 
I'm just going to do this. I'm going to go live with it. I'm going to share it with the world. And I'm not just going to offer this as a gift to my children, but I'm going to offer this as a gift to whoever may need it for any sort of inspiration. Yeah. And there's a lot of people, especially right now, who are dealing with some pretty heavy stuff, right? Absolutely. You know, it, it well, it feels now listening to your story, our heavy stuff is just having, you know, the COVID funk where we're a mess and we can't get organized. Now we hear your story. We're like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe we don't have it as bad. But for the people who are listening right now who feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm drowning in stress and I don't know how to get out of bed. What is it that you did? What is it that you continue to do that just gets you going, get your day started? I think for me, I mean, I have my days and I, you know, my closest friends will know because I call it my funk, but um, and we all have them. I mean, we're all human. And I think for me, I will kind of be in a funk for maybe 24 to 48 hours and then it will hit me like, Angie, you're in a funk. And then I'll sit and think about it. Like what, what is bothering me? What's on my mind? What, and sometimes I might even journal what what is making me feel this way and then i just kind of work through the process like, okay you know what um i got a lot of stress at work you know what i realize i haven't really slept very much the last couple of days and so then once i can sit down and acknowledge what has got my mind so off tilt mm-hmm. then it's just a matter of fixing it and you can't fix what you can't acknowledge so you just have to i think people having more self-awareness in in the things that make them feel the way they feel because at the end of the day there's something that's creating that feeling for you, but it's just a matter of feeling or understanding what it is that's making you feel that way. And then once you understand where the feelings are, you know, where you're off, then then it's just a matter of tackling it. And then once you tackle it, then you can cycle out and move on. Now, for the people who, and I'm sure you felt this, I don't know if someone verbally said this to you during, you know, your childhood, but the people who constantly hear the message of, you're not good enough or you're not worth it or watch your back or those those messages where if they're intended maliciously, maybe not, probably not, but you feel like you're the victim. How did you get out of that mindset? You have this natural positive mindset. How can we get there? Well, I mean, going through the foster care system and then once my mother ultimately decided to uh, let the state take us... Um, I, I hit rock bottom. I mean, um, I put in my memoir, I have um, a copy of my psyche valve that, where I say I'm suicidal. And I remember feeling like I had nothing to live for. And I don't really know what that redefining moment was for me at such a young age. But somehow I convinced myself that, you know what, maybe our mom did this to give us a better life. I mean, the reality of it is that's not in, that's not the the, the case at all. But somehow I, I mentally like convinced myself that, you know what, she wants us to have a better life. She wants us to have a better life. And I just kept convincing myself of that. And then I reached the point where I'm like, how can you be upset with somebody that wants better for you? Even though that's oh, really wow. was it wasn't the case at all. But, and I don't, honestly, I can't say what, what triggered those thoughts or where I came up with that. Um, but that's what got me through. And, and I have to be honest with you, as I've talked to other survivors, and I, and I always want to emphasize the fact that we are survivors because we are. Like, we're still living. We're breathing. You know, our survivorship may look differently, but we're not victims anymore. Like, we've cycled it out. But when I've talked to other survivors, it's, it's funny how the, the main point that comes up is 
something at some point triggered that we have value. And I think once you recognize where that value is, that empowers you. And so for me, I guess in that moment, maybe convincing myself that, you know what, I'm so valuable. My mom cares so much about me and my sisters that she's doing this wonderful thing for us, you know? Um, And I think that is probably where my mind shifted to where maybe I was able to cycle, you know, through again, eight, nine years old, but um, over the course of my it's crazy. I know that is amazing because now, you know, the people who lost a job, they're just thinking, darn it. You know, I'm so mad at blank, whatever the situation is for you to twist that and be like, Oh, I thank my company for letting me go because a new opportunity (laughs) is just down the road. I mean, that's tough. (laughs) It sounds like it, it, yeah, that's the way we got to tweak our mind. That's fascinating. It is. Yeah. and, And the crazy part about it is that, so it really all does come down to the power of the mind and perception. You know, you can see it in, in, in a context, but you can also see it in another context. And if you keep seeing it in the more positive context, eventually your mind will believe that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I talk about a car wreck I had um, where there was a fatality involved. Um, you know, I had long story short, this lady was standing in the middle of the highway in the middle of the night and came through my car and it killed mm-hmm. her. And, and I write about that in my book as well, but I end up going through some trauma therapy for obvious reasons. Um, and I remember the therapist telling me, um, you know, like I couldn't even drive by that spot. First, I couldn't drive at all, but I couldn't drive by that spot in particular for the longest time. It gave me anxiety. Um, I can't even ex- express what it felt. Um, but I remember her telling me, you know, you're just gonna have to drive by there. And just, just, just drive by there. And then you're going to keep driving by there and keep driving by there. And eventually you're going to keep driving by this spot and you're not even going to know you're driving by it. And that's so true. Um, sometimes in our minds, we, we create our own anxiety by, by just thinking about the, the worst case scenario, instead of thinking about what it can be. And, you know, I think about that, you know, with, with the job loss, as you mentioned, um, so often in life, many people look at what, who wronged them or, yeah. or, or what um, they didn't get, but they fail to recognize what they do have. And I think maybe living out of a trash bag for 18 months, you know, helped me un- understand and appreciate the value of things so much differently. But um, I, I think I have my moments of my funk, as I say, but I think for the most part, um, you know, I, I stopped when I had just have to sit and look around me like, hey, I've got healthy children. I've got a beautiful home. You know, I have a career that I've worked for. I have, you know, amazing friendships. What, who, who wouldn't want to have all of that? So what am I so upset about, you know? Yeah, that's so inspiring. I think now when we get in our funk, we're going to be thinking about Angie. We're going to be thinking <laughs> about you. Seriously. Well, that's You've... what I want. I want that. That's my goal is, is to help other people see you know, where your mind can go. I mean, you can go down this path and it can keep going down a path and a path or you can stop it, think about it and redirect your mindset to a different spot and you can and you can change everything. But it's all in a choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we often try to give people smart money strategies. And I don't know um, if you have one in particular that you want to share or maybe it's a success strategy for you. Well, I mean, I, I tell everybody it's never too young to start saving. Um, sometimes it's easier than, than other times. Um, but 
I, you know, I think the biggest financial uh, success in terms of business is understanding cash flow, and it really applies to personal life too. And often people focus so much on due dates and when things are due, but they fail to recognize how to balance it all out. Like, when's your money coming in? And when it's coming in, like, okay, how am I going to spread all this out to where I'm not overpaying on this this part of you know the month where. Mm-hmm you know, where I have the same income coming in, but wait, everything's due then. So maybe not pay attention to due dates, but pay attention to when it's convenient for you based off of what's coming in and balancing it with what's going out. Ah, yeah. And I tell my daughter that too. Like I, um, I'm an old school, I think I'm a, a, an old soul by heart, but, <laughs> um, you know, my kids, I, give them a checking account as soon as they start getting a job and they get income and, and I make them put 80% of their payroll into their savings and then 20% goes into their checking and, and I start them off with a buffer at 500 and I tell them, don't go below the 500 because that's your buffer, that's your emergency, you know, but if you have $700 in your account and you want to go get your hair done or you want to go eat at IHOP, then you've got, you've got $200 to do whatever you want with it. It's your money, but 80% of it, you don't need that. You don't need to just blow it. Oh, that's so, awesome that you're already starting that young with them. Yeah, it's important. I think they understand that. So yeah. And you have how many kids? Four? <laughs> well, it depends on who you ask. But- oh, <laughs> No, my business partner laughs. He he teases me that I have eleven kids, but I, yeah, I have four. I have oh. two boys and two girls. <laughs> I thought you were including some animals in there because you know sometimes our pets are our babies. <laughs> oh well, you know I I do I do tease that I might be going through a midlife crisis because I somehow have decided to get a puppy. Oh, look at you! I know I've told kids for I don't well my oldest is nineteen and she's like really mom I've begged you for nineteen years so oh. But I don't know what's what's gotten into me. But lately, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to get a dog. And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah, because all your kids, uh, if you is your littlest one seven? Yeah, so my oldest okay. is 19 and my youngest is seven. I've got a 16, 13 in the middle, but yeah. So your seven-year-old is kind of becoming more self-sufficient. It's like you you got it too easy now. You got to throw in a puppy, right? It's like get up and I can go to the gym and I don't really worry about it. I'm like, oh, I'm the 19-year-old's home, the 16 and the 13. Well, I can leave, you know? Yeah. So how do you manage the family budget? Because with four kids, man. Yeah, I mean, again, it's all, um, it all goes down to just balancing. I mean, we, we all, you live by a budget and everyone should have a budget of some sort. Um, but, you know, you have some things cost more certain times than others and you just have to balance it back into your budget or, you know, that's what your savings is for that you can tap into and then you can put back into it later when you can, you know, cycle it back out. But so, yeah, it's just find a balance. Angie, you have been such an inspiration. I so appreciate you coming on the air with us. I really appreciate um, you having me. A recipe for bad lemons, ingredients for success from life's sour moments. How can we find you, follow you, and uh, pick up your book? Um, I have an author page that's Angie Hunley, author. And then I'm on Instagram um, as Angie Hunley author as well. And then my book is on Amazon, so you can purchase it by typing it in there. Um, or you can go to those two platforms. I also have a website that has all of it on there, um, and that's um, AngieHunley.com. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. The fun way to talk to your kids about taxes, grab a chair. We're going to take a seat at the kids' table next. 
take a seat at the kids' table. Founder of Money Savvy Generation, Susan Beecham, is here to make taxes fun. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know about that promise, but okay. (laughs) All right, well, we're going to try. Let's first get to the kids. We ask the kids what they think taxes are. Do you know what taxes are? No. No, you don't hear mom complaining about taxes? No. You don't complain enough then, Nicole, because I do. (laughs) What are taxes? Taxes are something that is called money that you use to spend spend money for your house so you can have everything you need. I don't know what taxes are. They're like special kind of bills that you need to pay to like raise your house and so you can keep your house and your, uh, your pool and your shed. When you pay taxes, who does the money go to? A special tax guy. How about taxes? You know what taxes are? Like tickets to like for um someone to like give you a drive to somewhere. <laughs> so cute. I think she was thinking about a taxi driver. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I admire these kids. They always take a shot at it. And most of what they say, there's some truth to it which I also think parents need to make sure they understand the kids are listening to what we say. So if we are complaining about taxes, right, (laughs) they're picking it up. And we have no idea that we're shaping attitudes. But we're going to keep this simple um, as a first step in understanding taxes. So taxes are money that we pay for shared resources. So let's take a look at the three different kinds of taxes there are. Taxes based on what you earn, those are called income taxes, and people that earn more generally pay more in tax. Then there's taxes on what you spend, those are called sales taxes, and people who spend more pay more. And then there's taxes on what you own, property taxes, and people who live in more expensive houses pay more than people who live in less expensive houses. All right. But what is that money used for? In a state where you pay state taxes, that money is used to pay for things like buildings and maintaining state highways, state parks that you go to to camp or visit, police, firefighters. The taxes that you pay on whether it's your property or your income, on what you earn or on things you purchase, sales taxes, it's used for things that everyone enjoys in your state. Then there's also something called a federal government tax. Now these taxes also pay for things we all share, like our military. Maybe you've gone to national parks like Yellowstone or the Grand Canyon or the Smoky Mountains. As much as taxes get a bad rap sometimes and people go, "Mm, I don't want to pay those taxes. What What we don't stop and realize is how much on a daily basis we benefit from those shared resources. So my thought is this. Next time you're out and about, play a game. Have them yell out taxes every time they see something that they think taxes support. So you get in the car, you start to drive, you get on the highway or the expressway, taxes, Mm. you're right. Park, you're right. Taxes pay for that park. Library, you're right. When you're in the mall and you're paying for something, or when you're at the computer online and you're paying for something, taxes, 
Ah, okay. That's a sales tax. That supports my state. Got it. And if that supports my state, then that means my highways are going to be smoother. I'm going to have bridges over water. Pointing these things out as a family and talking about them might feel unnatural at first. Yeah. But, yeah. It, but, but you know, it's a, it's a way to not only remind your kids, but to remind yourself that your taxes do support things we rely on. This might sound a little cruel, but would you have them role play and actually pay taxes maybe from their allowance? After you're doing it for a bit, you don't you don't have to do it right at the beginning. Get allowance down cold first and then introduce the fact that allowance is your child's income and income like we talked about gets taxed by the state and the federal government. And so mom can be the state and dad can be the federal government. And you could tell them, carve out this for mom and this for dad. It will not be the most popular exercise you do with kids, but it will help them a great deal later on when they get their first paycheck. And they see that what they made is not necessarily what they bring home and they won't feel so offended uh, yeah, that's because true. they'll know some of those texts. All right. How can we find you and follow you, Susan? Well, listeners can follow me on my blog, which is at susanbeecham.com. And they can also find Money Savvy Generations award-winning products and some free resources at moneysavvy.com. All right, that wraps it up. So much good stuff. Let me know if there's a topic you want us to answer in No Dumb Questions, if there's ever a guest you want me to try to get on the show, or if you need help talking to the kids about money. This podcast is for you. Before we leave, today's Money Victory shout out goes to Jennifer Roberts. I need to call her Mrs. Roberts, though, because she's my daughter's teacher, and she is the most fantastic teacher ever, plus also the most fantastic mom. She wrote in and said... She wants a money victory shout out because of lack of doing anything over the summer. She was able to put money in savings and pay cash for both kids' tuition. Incredible, right? Cheers to you, Mrs. Roberts, and each and every single one of you who is proud to say that you're on your way to being financially confident. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Seven Figures podcast. Click subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Seven Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union.